I once saw a patient who had a, a bony asymmetry that he thought was related to filler. We got back some old pictures. Thankfully, everyone's got pictures on their phone from years ago now. And we found that exact lump on his face from years ago. He just had an asymmetry. He was anxious. He spotted it new. We were going down the route of this being a complication. And actually, it was just the way his face was right. and he hadn't spotted it. Welcome to the Aesthetics Mastery Show. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Hi, I'm Ryder Pierce. And today we're talking about delayed onset nodules, something we all need to know a lot about generally, uh, but we're also heading into a phase possibly with respect to the vaccine and maybe with the pandemic that we may have more reactions to think about and certainly more to deal with. So let's dive in and find out more. So what do practitioners need to know about these delayed onset nodules? Well, the first thing is don't assume immediately that it's a filler reaction. That's probably the first thing that I see new practitioners do too often, which is any problem that they're presented with, they immediately assume, oh, it's my treatment that's caused this problem. There are many medical causes of lumps and bumps, and you need to have your clinical hat on generally before you immediately start assuming that you've caused a complication with your treatment, because many, much of the time it isn't that problem at all. So how do you deal with someone who attends with a possible filler reaction? So, I mean, most of the time they attend with a lump or a bump or something visual that they can't see. Now, it's those that are trickiest, actually, because if you're if it really is a place that you know you're injected and there's lots of swelling, that's it's quite a lot easier to make that diagnosis of their inflammation going on. It's the milder ones where you need to make your first step discerning whether this is an inflammatory process or a non-inflammatory problem. And that's the first that's the first thing that then puts you in a different route um, after from that point onwards. So um, inflammatory, we all know the signs of inflammation, but you've got to go looking for them to establish it. So um, especially a, a small lump, one of the tests you might do is just to feel it. Like, does it actually feel more tender than, than other areas? Because um, one of the things you asked me just before we came on air was, how do you tell the difference between an inflammatory and a non-inflammatory? Because it could just be a filler lump. Well, one of the ways is to palpate it. And if it feels tender, that's a clue that there's some inflammation going on there because mostly filler on its own is not tender. So um, that would be one of the first things, figure out whether it's inflammatory or not. And obviously some of that's down to the history. So you could ask them a series of questions that look for inflammatory causes. Have you had a cough or a cold? You know, Have you had any dental work? Anything that could cause inflammation. Um, you may then uh, start to lean in that inflammatory way. But also, what's the history of the lump? Did it come up um, immediately after the procedure and has just got worse since then? Because that's very different to a lump that came on maybe three months after the procedure, has come on gradually and is a little bit tender. And that would also be different to a lump that has no tenderness and uh, has no no real signal that there's any infection, but is but is also there or present. So they're, they're different, um, but importantly different because each of those has a different possible cause and a different treatment. How do we break it down and, and decide which route to go down? Um, I'd, I'd start with questions first. So is there is there any tenderness? Is there pain? How did it come on? What's the sequence of events? You know, I just woke up with it. There's no tenderness. Um, and that, then you're leaning more towards non-inflammatory. If you uh, if it became a little bit sore and painful and then was swollen and you felt it and it feels a bit tender, I'm immediately thinking that's more inflammatory. Right. And and that's going to then take you off down, down the other path. And um, when does a nodule, a lump, become a delayed onset nodule versus just a normal lump after the procedure? Yeah, that's a good question. What, what I always look for to differentiate delayed onset nodule and any other type of 
of nodule is that there, there should have been a period where there was no inflammation and a recovery. And I, I actually don't mind if that's three or four days, although that's on the, the shorter end, or whether it's three, six months. But you need a period where things were seem normal. And, and that's, that's a good indication of... Um, that it's not post-procedural because every procedure, if there's bruising, you get you can get lump. A bruise itself can can result in induration, and you get texture changes in the skin that feel like a lump, but it's not reactive. So um, you're looking for that period of quietness where everything was fine, and and that's the key that differentiates it from uh, procedural injuries. You mentioned before that it might not be anything to do with our procedure. What else could it be? So it's as I said uh, earlier on, it's very important to keep your mind open when patients first present. Um, it's one of the most common ways that clinical mistakes are made is that something happens in the history taking process that makes the clinician shut off their mind to many, many, many other differentials and they get they get tunnel vision. Uh, I've seen this happen in A&E when I used to work in A&E where they, sometimes the triage note on the front of the page would distort the entire consultation and you'd realise that that triage note was either um, basically done in three seconds and it was it would say something like chest pain and really once you got once you got talking to them it's more like a gallbladder and and you know you can waste ages because it's it's a rough description put in by the by the secretary that isn't that basically isn't um, that sways everyone's thoughts way too quickly. And patients do this themselves. They'll sometimes ring up and say, um, you know, I've got a headache. And it turns out that it's more about eye pain. And that's a really different history-taking process than headache. So um, you, you've got to think broadly at the beginning. And so when it comes to lumps and bumps, just think there are many, many things that can cause lumps and bumps and inflammatory processes that happen in people's heads that are nothing to do with dermal filler. And the sooner you, you rule those ones out, and then, then you can narrow in on your particular causes. But, um, you know, the, one of the more, more typical ones you see quite often with new injectors is four-dye spots. So those are just, they're there already, but when you inject filler, they become more readily uh, visible. So you get this increase in contrast, or sometimes it's about rotation of the lip, so you can see them more easily. And new clinicians plus new patients suddenly think, oh, there's some problem with my filler. And actually, it's just something that was there all along. But there are many examples of that. So lymph nodes are another example. Lymph nodes come up in the face for, for any infection that may, may be anywhere in your head. Um, and they can feel like filler lumps if you're not careful about it and you get the diagnosis wrong, you don't want to end up trying to high laser lymph node, for example. Um, I once saw a patient who had a, a, a bony asymmetry um, that he thought was related to filler. We got back some old pictures because I was convinced this was nothing to do with filler and I got his phone out. Thanks, thankfully, everyone's got pictures on their phone from years ago now and we found that exact lump on his face from years ago. He just had an asymmetry. He was anxious. He spotted it new. We were going down the route of this being a complication and actually it was just the way his face was right. and he hadn't spotted it. So it's fairly common. Um, lips have loads of these things. So mucus seals are a good example. Um, you can get cysts. Of course, if you're very, very lucky, you might be dealing with a tumour. So some cancers, you know, oral cancers might might present like a lump that could be blamed on being a filler. Um, and we just want to be just be aware of the other differentials before you you zoom in on it too much. And if it doesn't make sense, quite often it's because there's, there's something missing. This is something that's always been useful in, to know in clinical medicine is when you're applying all your normal pattern recognition um, systems and it just doesn't seem to fit, like go with that. It doesn't fit. There's something wrong. Explore it more before you just ignore it and keep going down your initial diagnosis, which may seem easier at first, but it's definitely not easier if you get the diagnosis wrong. 
assuming it is delayed onset nodule because of the filler that we've injected, what's causing it? So delayed onset nodules are, if only they were simple, but there, there are multiple different subtle differences and theories about what's causing them. So any period of inflammation that happens in a filler um, with a delay to it um, is a delayed onset nodule. And there, there are a couple of different theories about what could cause it. So one of them is that your body's actually reacting to the filler. So your immune system has learned that this is a foreign body and it needs to be destroyed. And it basically you get a type 4 hypersensitivity response, so cell-mediated, that's what it means, type 4. You're sending in the white blood cells and they're trying to break it down. They're causing an inflammatory response. There's collagen deposition. You effectively get scar tissue laid down and um, and it can be fairly permanent, those nodules that come from that, if it's left for too long. But there's another theory that maybe this is all caused by biofilm reactions. So a biofilm reaction is a grumbling bacterial infection where your body can't quite get on top of it. Um, there's this often in the textbooks, it's to and fro between a bit of inflammation and then it seems to go away and then it comes back again. This waxing and waning can be part of it or it can just be an infection that you cannot treat. So it just seems to be resilient. And the theory is, well, the fact is with these biofilms is that the bacteria coat themselves in a mucus and these biofilms are really interesting. In it, not if it's your face, but they're interesting because they can have multiple organisms in them and they, they form almost like a mini... Um, uh, they're all kind of working together to defend against the immune system. So you might have some that produce a type of mucus and some that produce an enzyme that defeats some element of the of the bacteria. And together, they all, they all live on a foreign body in your system for as long as possible. So, um, And that can look a lot like that. Uh, some of the delayed onset nodules are probably those. Um, trying to differentiate between the two is really hard. In fact, clinically, it's next to impossible. Um, it would be great if we could sample all of them, but most clinicians are not in a place where we can take a sample, send it to lab, and even cultures are not that reliable. Right. Um, and then there are, you know, you can sometimes um, use um, kind of look for the DNA that's present in bacteria and try and scan that. But obviously, that's very sensitive, so you often pick up bacteria that's gotten in from somewhere else. So it's not always a concrete diagnosis um, either way. So we're we're in this this zone of uncertainty where we hopefully we we know it's inflammatory. We know from the history of our treatment that it's likely related to the filler. And then we're in this position of, is it a biofilm and infective related or just the body responding to it? Or the third thing, which I, I've been thinking about quite a lot, and this is my hypothesis, is that you can get inflammation that is more of a, a, a side effect of general inflammation rather than direct reaction to the filler. Mm -hmm. And this is what, I'm, what I see differently clinically. Um, one set of patients develops hard lumps that left untreated will persist and persist for months and months. Um, there's another set of patients that develop inflammation that if you do nothing, basically dies down with, with time. Um, and then there are the ones that respond to antibiotics on their own, which we, we may not know for sure, but that, those, those would be um, more related to infection. So we're trying to differentiate between these two. And, and, and in practice, I don't suggest that you run experiments. I would treat it as both. If you've got a hard lump, so the hardness I think is important in terms of diagnosis. If you have a general kind of soft swelling, I, I think that might be more related to these flu type reactions. So you get a flu infection, you've got inflammation everywhere, your back's sore, your legs are sore, your, you know, there's that general inflammation. And um, it could be that short chain hyaluronic acids are a bit more likely to trigger some inflammation in that area. 
And because that there is there is some evidence that we actually have receptors, inflammatory receptors to short chain hyaluronic acids, which also they occur during wound injuries. So if you if you actually injure yourself, there are more short chain hyaluronic acids in that area, and they're one of the 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 mediators for inflammation. So it could be that a flu infection or a viral infection or a vaccine predispose you to local inflammation, but it's not quite the same thing as your immune system saying, I'm going after the filler. And um, that that could be important because that means that you don't necessarily have to treat that as, as aggressively. The ones where the texture is hard, I think that's a good signal that you've got white blood cells rushing to the area. So you're actually getting this buildup of the immune cells so it, so that it feel it doesn't feel like filler anymore. And any clinician who's seen these will know immediately, you know, this isn't the filler that I put in. It's rock hard mm-hmm. and sometimes very, very nodular. That for me is, is more likely to be one of the other two categories, which is the not the um, infection, um, possibly the biofilm reactions or the or the reactions, the actual filler. Now, what to do in that situation? I, I think it's safe to treat them as both. So you'd combine steroids and antibiotics and uh, and then and then give that a reasonable amount of time to to respond to that before you decide to use highlays. And that's another discussion we can have, which is when to highlays. Why are these delayed onset nodules more common in lips? Well, um, that's certainly my experience that they're more common in lips. There are there are a number of possible reasons it could be. I mean, it could be that lips are very sensitive and, and any little lump gets diagnosed quickly and you you know the patient complains about it. If you've had if you're having a little bit of inflammation in your cheek and it's on the periosteum, you may not notice it or you may not complain about it. So it could be that we're more sensitive in that area. But of course, that area of your face is also much more there's much more immune activity going on there. The whole of your GI tract, in fact, the, the the whole one of the biggest parts of your immune system involves defending that mucous membrane in your GI tract. So there are many, many, many more white blood cells active in that area. And it could be that we just become more inflamed more easily there. So we pick it up for that reason. Um, it could also be that there are more of these biofilm reactions because the mouth is full, as we all know, it's full of bacteria. No matter who you are, no matter how often you brush your teeth, Plenty of bacteria there that, if they got into the wrong place, might cause, and it's certainly an inflammatory response. Um, and we know that from dental work, it's one of the possible causes of these inflammatory reactions is is dental work because you get a a temporary uh, bacteremia, so just an influx of bacteria that are quickly dealt with, but they stimulate the immune system to respond, and that causes problems. Should you deal with the lumps and lips any differently, or is it all the same principles? Uh, well. I mean, a non-inflammatory lesion is very different to deal with with an inflammatory lesion. They're fairly straightforward, you know, massage, um, time, high lays if you need to. Um, whereas the inflammatory lesions, um, if it's on the soft type, I, I'm, and you can't find a focus for infection. So this is a patient who had a cold last week. Today they're fine. They have no temperature. They have suddenly swelling in their lip or their tear trough or something like that. Um, they have no other signs of infection. You could just treat the inflammation if it's bothering them. But also, it's not. I don't think it's that unsafe to leave it and keep a very close eye, but just to monitor them. Now, this might be especially true, for example, with the vaccine, because as we talked about, you probably don't want to be suppressing the response to the vaccine or you may not get the immunity that we're after. So if someone has a little bit of swelling after that, um, you might just want to try your best to do nothing. Um, I do think the psychosocial impact is important. So I don't just look at my patients as chunks of meat. If someone's very, very upset, that might make me lean in a bit harder and be a bit more aggressive with my treatment. You know, something something big coming up, a wedding or 
whatever. There, there are many um, psychosocial reasons why you might decide it's warranted to treat a little bit more aggressively to get the inflammation under control. Um, but then we're in the realm of, um, with the harder nodules of combining antibiotics and steroids um, and beyond that uh, into, into, high, into using hyaluron days. But just on the psychosocial element, though, I think a lot of that can be helped with a, consult, a good consultation. Because I know myself when I've had, the second time I had my lips done, both times I had a lump that just went after about four weeks. So quite a while. But I just let it do its thing. I didn't get annoyed or wound up. I just was like, well, I've had my lips done. Yeah. So, I mean, you are in a unique position because you do get... Um, uh, extra consultation you've got someone 24 hours a day who will who can talk to you about but it I'd if never, you needed to yeah but i never asked i think people need to just be told that it's kind of not i don't know if i'm just being a bit harsh but i feel like people need to just let it let it sit yeah I, there's nothing wrong with saying we need to give it some time and if that takes away the anxiety and you're not worried about it and moreover you're not you're not hampered in your day-to-day -day life um by what you look like then yes it's absolutely fine to let it run and I would recommend that because as a, as a general principle in anything medical, minimal interventions are a good idea. I mean, what, one, of the, one of the things you learn with experience is that sometimes when you're trying really hard, it's when you make things worse. Mm. So we, we want to we be tr edging forward and making careful decisions to intervene as little as possible while keeping the patient safe and making them happy. But on the other side, you can be too medically centered. And I've seen... I've seen clinicians leave cases where, you know, often I get messaged by people who are trying to get second opinions and, um, you know, you, they'll send me a picture and they, they look shocking. You know, they've got right. huge swelling around their jawline and the clinician's saying, I'll see you in two weeks. Right, bit casual. Yeah. Now, th there is, I'm, I'm, I'm being humble here and that that clinician will have their reasons and I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong necessarily, but the, my way of approaching these things is it, it is a factor that the patient is upset. Like it's not, it's not simply that I know what I'm doing with what's going on with the cells that are reacting and I'm giving a treatment. So it, it is still something that might make me take a different course if that patient is not functioning in their day-to-day -day life. They're not going out. They're avoiding people. Yeah. And it, it's two weeks before you see them again. I, I, I would probably be a bit more aggressive in that, in that case. Um, and I do generally for that reason use hyaluron days a bit sooner than some of the guidelines say in in those type of patients i don't think you can leave someone who's frantic um and can't function and isn't going to work for a, a day longer than you need to and i know a lot of people don't use like using hyaluron days um for various reasons i actually think it's actually very safe as as medication goes there are very few things other than allergy that i'm uh, that have any good foundation as a side effect so we just need to um to choose when a good time is for particular patients taking into account the whole thing the biology the psychology and the social function so we've taken them through the steroids antibiotic we might have just had a bit of watching and waiting when do we highlight so um taking into account the psychosocial impact you may decide to highlight on days sooner rather than later or you may decide this patient's very laid back and i can let the antibiotics and the steroids run uh, run their course but at a certain point you're going to you the reason to use hyaluronides is that you're not progressing. Good rule of thumb any for any clinician um, is if things are looking like they're improving, just keep doing what you're doing <laughs> um, and don't start changing things. But if they're stuck and they're stuck for too long, that's an indication to think about doing things differently. So if I was going to use hyaluronides, there are a couple of things to think about. Firstly, we don't 100% know for sure what's causing this. It could be a type four reaction, a sterile reaction. 
or it could be an infection or a biofilm reaction. Now, if you think about what hyaluronidase does um, in nature, so it's in bee stings, it's in, I think it's in some, some snake venoms, it's basically a, a, an enzyme that enables toxins to permeate through the tissue. That's why bee stings include it. Only one of 52 things in the compound, so you don't need to know all of them, um, but it's it's sometimes um, used in nature to enable these toxins to permeate. And the same will be true if you have a bacterial infection. So if you have a bacteria that's growing in a lump of hyaluronic acid um, and surrounded by white blood cells, and then you inject this hyaluronidase, it's going to liberate all of those bacteria. And in theory, you might be a bit safer if your patient is on antibiotics when you do that. So with a delayed onset nodule, if you think it's inflammatory, I really recommend that they're on antibiotics when you, re when you do that reversal process. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And of course, if you'd like to download an article uh, written especially about delayed onset nodules, that is available in a link in the description below. Thanks for watching. Bye.